BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Next Pat's Podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Next Pat's Podcast. I'm Phil Perry. Great episode lined up for you this week as we are still gathering all the information we acquired at our first OTA session of the spring for the Patriots, during which reporters were allowed to be present. So that occurred earlier in the week. We are recording this on Friday afternoon. Still plenty to pick through. Hopefully, you're paying attention to the Patriots Talk podcast. You got some of the details on the session that we saw from Tommy Curran. But we'll give you a little bit more, and we'll give you a little bit more on some of the younger players. We're going to go, what's next? At every single position, position by position, we're going to fly through it very quickly. We're also going to give you a what's next on the coaching staff, and we're going to give you a what's next schematically as well, because I think there are a couple of interesting schematic nuggets that we were able to acquire at that first OTA practice we were able to attend. And then later in the episode, we're bringing back our buddy, Eric Galco. He is the director of football operations and player personnel for the Shrine Bowl to talk to us about one of the more under-the-radar standouts from that first OTA session we saw, Liberty receiver Demario Douglas. I'm excited to talk about him. We'll get to that when we get to the receiver portion of our podcast today. But let's start with our position-by-position look at what's next for the Patriots. Again, based off of one practice, no pads, helmets, T-shirts, shorts. We understand what this time of year is. It is teaching camp. It is not competition camp. Bill Belichick will tell you that and tell you it and tell you it again many, many times over the course of the spring here. And yet, this is what we do. We are your eyes and ears. Fans are not allowed at these practices. So we want to try to give you as much information as humanly possible on these things. Let's start at quarterback. My first takeaway. If the Patriots are in the midst of a quarterback competition, they got a funny way of showing it because Mac Jones, to me, was very clearly the number one guy. He worked with Hunter Henry, Mike Gesicki, Devontae Parker consistently. Those are three of your most highly paid skill position players on the roster. Kendrick Bourne, I thought, did a little bit of work with both Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Ty Montgomery did a little bit of work with Jones and Zappi. But it was Jones who was up first in every team period. And I would say, judging by the personnel with which he worked, if you were to drop in from outer outer space and say, okay, tell me who the best quarterback is here or who the coaches think the best quarterback is here, and I were to point to you the other best players on the team and how many times those players worked with which quarterback, you get what I'm saying. It would be Mac Jones. That said... There was one practice period early in the day when Bailey Zappi actually went third, and yet that was a good thing for him because that meant he was able to work with some of the quote-unquote regulars, quote-unquote starters even, if you will. So Mac Jones went first, Trace McSorley went second with clear backups, and then Bailey Zappi went third, again, with, I would say, mostly clear backups. 
his first rep in that period, the period where he did work with Kendrick Bourne, where he did work with Ty Montgomery, he also had Kayshawn Booty out, out there on the field, which you might look at that and say, hey, maybe they got big plans for Booty. Maybe, maybe he's already worked his way to sort of that second receiver grouping. I don't believe that to be the case. You know, he was out there as well with Malik Cunningham, who is an undrafted rookie quarterback out of Louisville, who the Patriots now have playing receiver. And I like that move for him. I think it's an exciting move. It also isn't necessarily an indication that Bailey Zappi is stealing reps away from starters so that they can give Bailey Zappi the best look possible or the best prep possible. So if this continues, the split that we saw in terms of the regulars with Mac Jones and others with Bailey Zappi, if this continues, it'll be very clear who they're trying to get ready to be the starter week one. This is not a quote-unquote competition yet. Did they give Bailey Zappi some guys who played before? Yes. Is it a competition? No. Because outside of that one period that I just described, it was Mac Jones with an offensive line group led by David Andrews. Bailey Zappi was with an offensive line group led by Cody Russey, who didn't get a single snap as a pro last year, undrafted rookie himself. So something to keep an eye on for sure. And I'm not saying come training camp that this won't be a competition, but as of right now, it is not. Okay. So that's the quarterback. What's next? What's next at receiver? Let's go with Malik Cunningham. Just mentioned him over 3000 yards, rushing 50 touchdowns in his collegiate career, over five yards per carry. This guy is an athlete. He can move. And he did play some quarterback in sort of the, the post-practice session. If you've ever been to a training camp practice and you see them do their conditioning work on the hills, sometimes you will see a group of offensive players and defensive players get together and almost run something like a two-minute drill. And coaches will watch, but that to me isn't really considered part of practice. It's almost an extra work period. That was the only time we saw Malik Cunningham take quarterback snaps. The entire practice before that, he was working at receiver. And I thought he actually looked pretty good. He had a nice catch over the middle where he's running a crossing route. The ball was thrown a little bit behind him, and he was able to, to lunge back with his hands and pluck it out of the air. Uh, you did see him get a rep with Mac Jones. And so, to me, this is something that the coaching staff clearly wants to get a good sense of. Just how well does this guy move? Does he have the skill set to play this position? Clearly, with the amount of money they gave him, which was the most in this year's undrafted rookie class, they feel like they have a plan for him and they want to see what he can do. So that was number one at that receiver spot. Number two was our guy, Demario Douglas, Pop Douglas from Liberty. We know he's undersized, but we know he's explosive. Four, four flat, 40, over 11 inches in the broad. And this guy is incredibly quick in and out of his breaks. And we're going to hear Eric Galco talk more about his skill set. But the reason he stood out to me was because with other pros, his quickness, again, one practice, his quickness stood out. And again, I think it is worthy of note where guys are getting reps. This isn't a completely random, everybody gets to play with everybody. If you feel like running out onto the field and getting a rep, go for it, young buck. That's not how it works. The coaching staff controls this stuff. They want to see players work with certain other players. And Demario Douglas got a couple of reps with Mac Jones. And he was part of this quick-hitting, shorter attack that we'll get into in the, the scheme portion of our conversation today. But Demario Douglas, if there was an under-the-radar player who, to me, stood out from the one practice that we've been to, I would say it's him. Kayshawn Booty, who I just mentioned, 
he had to go down to the lower field for some conditioning and or rehab work in the middle of practice, right about noontime. Session got started at 11, 11.30-ish. So we didn't see a whole lot of booty, but we did see a good amount of Douglas. Again, brief little snapshot with Mac Jones, but that to me tells me something. Six-round rookie. He's also getting some looks as a return man, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. I think they, if they like what they see there, he does give them something that the rest of the receiver group does not in terms of his short area quickness. And so how many different ways can they try to find him a roster spot? Is it in the return game? Is it as a true slot receiver? Is it as a vertical threat from the slot, which Juju Smith-Schuster really isn't? He wasn't at practice uh, during that session. So uh, maybe an opportunity there for Douglas. Liked him, liked him. And we're going to hear more about him from Eric Galco. At running back, to me, the quote-unquote Next topic here is it looks to me like even though he's a veteran player, and this is usually a podcast about young guys, Ty Montgomery looks like the next, at least as of now, sub back in New England. It looks like he's going to be given every opportunity to win that job. Now, maybe it's Pierre Strong, but Ty Montgomery looked like looked like the top guy as of right now in that all-important role. You can't have Ramondre Stevenson do everything. I'm sorry. He wore down at the end of last year. He wasn't even a full participant. In the OTA practice that we watched, he had to do some work on the lower field as well. Stevenson did. So keep an eye on Ty Montgomery. He could play a very important role in this offense, as it looked like he might last year before getting hurt in week one against the Dolphins. At tight end, I would say what's next here? We know it's Kasicki. We know it's Hunter Henry. I'm not going to give you much on Anthony Ferkser or the other tight ends that are on the roster because we just didn't see much from those guys. But what I will say is the grouping that we saw with Mac Jones to start practice when the competitiveness got ratcheted up just a little bit and the speed of the work got ratcheted up just a little bit, the grouping that was out there with Mac Jones was 12 personnel. And again, maybe that's because Juju Smith-Schuster wasn't available, but it was Gesicki and Hunter Henry. Devontae Parker, Tyquan Thornton. That's an interesting mix of size, obviously with the tight ends, but Devontae Parker and even Tyquan Thornton. But speed as well, obviously, with Thornton Gesicki as a very athletic tight end. So athletic, in fact, that when the team separated and the offensive linemen went to a certain field to work on their running game drills and their run game fits, they had some duo stuff going there. Maybe we'll get to that in our schematic portion of the podcast today. Hunter Henry went with them. You know who didn't? Mike Gesicki. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much in line we're going to see from Gesicki if any, in 2023, they know what he is. They're not going to ask him to be something he's not. He was, for all intents and purposes, during a passing camp with no pads, he was a receiver. But it'll be fun to watch how that 12 personnel package, that grouping develops and grows under Bill O'Brien with Mac Jones. Offensive line-wise, what's next there? Well, no Mike Owenu. So who was next man up? James Ferentz. <laughs> was it the rookies? <laughs> Wasn't. Any of the rookies, Jake Andrews, Antonio Mafi, who we're going to hear about from Eric Alco, or City So. It was James Ferentz, and who was working in as sort of the do-it-all sub behind those interior guys, Cole Strange, James Ferentz, David Andrews. Still, none of the rookies. It was Bill Murray. So I found that interesting. You, you, you err on the side of the veterans, the guys who have been around, who have been in the system, especially this early in the spring, especially when you just want to make sure you're getting all the fundamentals down and you're showing those rookies what's what, but that felt like the first 
interior offensive line group. Then as far as tackle goes, you did not have Trent Brown at practice. So Calvin Anderson saw a lot of work at left tackle. Riley Reef worked at right tackle opposite Anderson, but also filled in at left. And then Connor McDermott sort of filled in behind those two guys. So if you had to ask me today where I think these guys will best fit in, especially if Trent Brown's not available, it would be Anderson at left tackle, Reef at right tackle, and then McDermott as the swing guy behind those two. Special teams-wise, what's next there? Well, you had no Nick Folk, so you got a lot of Chad Ryland booting it through the uprights. I thought he looked fine. Bryce Berenger, some excellent hang time with some of his punts. So your two specialists, as you would expect, they were drafted. Ryland was drafted extremely highly, higher than Steven Guskowski even was. They looked fine. The returners, I, I like taking a look at this. Miles Bryant, Kyle Duggar, J.J. Taylor, and Pop Douglas, as we mentioned earlier, were your punt returners. That was that was the day's work as far as special teams was concerned. We did not see anything kickoff-wise. Usually they do punt one day, kickoff the next, vice versa, and they sort of alternate it that way. It was all punt with the special teams' teams' periods. Defensive line, we're moving right along. Let's, let's do our Keon White note here, even though, to me, he looks like an outside linebacker. They had him in a two-point stance. They had him with his hand in the dirt. They had him drop into coverage at times. Remember, this guy's 285 pounds. He was playing closer to 300 pounds at times at Georgia Tech. And in his, one of his, I should say, first OTA sessions with the Patriots, they're comfortable with him dropping into coverage and having him do a variety of different things. When he's aligned as an outside linebacker, he's playing almost a, a wide nine kind of technique. He is he is way out there on what would be probably the outside shoulder of the tight end. Then when he's got his hand in the dirt, he's almost face up with the tackle closer to a five technique. This is somebody who's going to be able to do a lot of different things for Bill Belichick and do them aggressively. That was my other note on White. There was one point in practice where he really got a long arm into Connor McDermott. Again, no pads. And generally speaking, you're looking to take care of each other out there. Keon White, I think it was a little too aggressive for Connor McDermott's liking. Now, I don't want to read too much into body language out there on the field, but there was a little bit of what looked like an exchange between those two. And then Carl Davis, veteran Patriots defensive lineman, sort of stepped in and had some words for Keon White. It looked to me almost like a, and again, I'm not quoting, I couldn't hear anything that was being said out there, but it looked like a rookie being a little over-aggressive. Right. And that's Keon White's M.O. That's that's how he became a second round pick. That's who he was at Georgia Tech and Old Dominion before that. He's aggressive. He is full speed all the time. He's bull in a china shop. So when you're working offensive and defensive lines in team periods in May, he might go a little overboard at times. And it looked like that may have been how McDermott felt. And it looked like that may have been what Carl Davis was addressing with his young teammate. Again, I don't know, but something to keep an eye on. At linebacker, another rookie that we've talked about here in this podcast, Marte Mapu. Red jersey, so that's number one. He's dealing with that pick injury that he suffered at the Senior Bowl that Jim Nagy told us about. But he was out there and out there early in the middle of the Patriots defense at the second level. It looks like he's going to be a linebacker. Now he's got some position versatility, right? He could be a box safety as well, but they had him out there at linebacker early in the session. Obviously, he was limited with that red jersey. But very, very interesting to see a guy from a lower-level competition to be out there early with some some defensive regulars this early in the spring. At corner, you had no Christian Gonzalez. Albert Breer, Sports Illustrated, reported he was sick. You are also missing Marcus Jones, who is down on the lower field. So we did spot him, but he was, it looked like, doing some rehab or some conditioning work down there. So you had John Jones and Jack Jones getting a lot of work because... 
and this gets to our safety portion of what's next. Jalen Mills spent a lot of a lot of time at safety. So you had guys like Amir Speed, late round pick for the Patriots this year, who I've been told is is not expected to play defensively really at all. He, he's a special teams specialist, but you had him playing a bunch of corner during this practice because you were without Marcus Jones and you were without Christian Gonzalez. Miles Bryant got plenty of work um, against the top offensive group as well. They they obviously, they, they really like Miles Bryant. I know a lot of Patriots fans don't necessarily, but it looks like he could have a key role for the Patriots in the kicking game and as a versatile piece in the secondary again in 2023. Okay, what's next coaching-wise? Bill O'Brien, he, he's got he's got the run of this offense, as he should, in my opinion. But this was a very far cry from what we saw last spring with Bill Belichick relaying plays to Matt Patricia, who was then relaying them through the walkie-talkie to the quarterback headset. Bill Belichick was removed from the offensive equation here. And I just found that interesting, that, that this is going to be the Bill O'Brien show. He was all by himself at times, right there with that walkie-talkie. You could see him talking to his quarterbacks. They were getting plays in quickly efficiently the ball didn't hit the ground all that much yes every quarterback did throw a pick mac jones threw one to miles bryant early in sort of a half speed session um bailey zappy threw one in sort of a half speed session uh that was picked off by i believe jalen mills actually trace mcsorley threw three at different points during the practice but it was crisp and there wasn't a lot of confusion groups got in and out uh very smoothly i would say so Kind of a low bar, to be honest with you, at the NFL level, but still a positive sign nonetheless for this Patriots offense that went through so much turmoil in 2022. And then I, I did want to just mention a couple of scheme things, guys, before we get to our chat with Eric Elko. I mentioned a couple. 12 personnel, which we should expect. We'll see a lot of it. I thought the other things that were interesting offensively that we saw were when it comes to the running game, again, this time last year, we could already see sort of the outside zone, that wide zone influence that the Patriots were trying to thrust upon their offense. It was very clear, even this time last year, when it's hard to work on the run game with no pads. Well, in our first practice out there, did we see a lot of wide zone, a lot of outside zone? No, we did not. <laughs> what we saw, again, when the offensive line went to do its own thing and work on some run fits, was inside zone or duo. Double teams at the point of attack, Interior offensive lineman working up to the second level linebacker, getting downhill, gap runs between the tackle runs. That looked like the focus. That looks like the Patriots run game of old. Of course, they always mixed in a little bit of zone inside and outside. But this felt like the Patriots getting back to what they know they're good at. And I would make the argument they showed us already. We've talked about it on this podcast that they want to get back to that stuff based on some of the guys they drafted, including Antonio Maffi who we're going to be talking about with Eric Galco, the other scheme things that I just wanted to mention. This gets to the O'Brien conversation. Very spread out. We saw them go empty at times. Bill O'Brien was a big fan of empty with the Houston Texans. We've got a lot of numbers on that. We'll dig deeper into them. I already did on a mailbag earlier this offseason, but we'll get back into what to expect from this Patriots offense the more we see a few practices. Also thought, I thought we don't have the benefit of replay, but thought we might have seen one RPO that was not a bubble screen, guys. Last year, it was bubble screen left, bubble screen right. Anytime they did an RPO, that was essentially the play. Uh, this was a slant. And again, I'm not sure if it was play action. Not sure. Not sure. Because without the benefit of the replay, hard to really notice in real time. Well, were the offensive linemen shooting out? Were they blocking for that run play? Was that the first option? And Mac Jones decided to pull it and throw the slant to Tyquan Thornton. 
or was it just play action and that's how it was designed all along? I wouldn't be stunned, though, if we see more RPO than we've ever seen during a Patriots offseason, spring, or summer workout. Um, it was it was very seldomly sort of sprinkled in last year. It really wasn't sprinkled in at all two years, two years ago, excuse me, under Josh McDaniels. So that's something that I anticipate we'll see more, as is the empty stuff. That, to me, leverages what your quarterback does best, which is see the defense, process, understand where the weak links are, and attack them. Get the ball out of your hands quickly. This guy's not a scrambler, right? We know he's not a freelancer. The quicker the ball is out of his hand, generally speaking, the better. That's how Tom Brady always wanted to play. That's how Mac Jones, I believe, wants to play as well. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu slash podcast. Okay, let's get to our conversation with, again, the Shrine Bowls, Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel, Eric Galco, to talk to us about the two Shrine Bowl picks by the Patriots in this year's draft class. Fifth-round pick, Antonio Maffi, interior offensive lineman. That's where he played the other day. City So, it is worth mentioning. We saw him at tackle, and Jake Andrews did play guard. Uh, but Mafi was a guard in that first OTA practice. That's where I expect he will settle. And Demario Douglas, my under the radar, quote unquote, star <laughs> of our first day of OTAs as a media core. Here's our conversation with Eric. All right, very excited now to have with us Director of Football Ops and prayer, Player Personnel for the Shrine Bowl, Eric Galco. Eric, thanks so much for being back here with us on Next Pass, man. Absolutely appreciate it, man. So we got to talk to you just before the week at the Shrine Bowl, and we knew the Patriots were going to be coaching, and you gave us the whole lowdown on how much time they'd be able to spend with these guys. And we knew, Eric, we knew they would end up with a couple, and sure enough, they did. They take Antonio Maffi, the offensive lineman out of UCLA, and Demario Pop Douglas out of Liberty, the receiver in the sixth round. Uh, I, I just wanted to get you on so you could tell us a little bit about what you know about these guys and, and how they might fit in here in new England. And let's start with Mafi. He ended up being their fifth round pick. Uh, they didn't have a fifth round pick going into the draft, but they end up in the fifth and they take somebody that they are familiar with. And it was fun to hear Matt Crow talk about it. Mafi spoke about it as well. The relationship that these guys are able to build, both these players were, were on the Patriots team, the West team. So they weren't playing for the Falcons coaching staff. Um, but Mafi is an interesting player to me because he is a he looks like a powerful dude, Eric. Tell me what you remember about his week at the Shrine Bowl. 
Yeah, first off, I joke with all the time that that Mafia scout report's pretty easy. He's 340 plus pounds and can bend his knees and move. And that sounds very simple, but not many human beings in the NFL or in the world can do that. So he's a really natural bender and athlete for a big guy like that. But he's a guy that used to be a 400-pound nose tackle at UCLA, who UCLA staff did an unbelievable job. And they told me about it, kind of slowly transitioning into guard, not just throwing him out there and having him play, but have him lose the weight in a way that still kept his strength and his body type, but eventually get down to 360, 350, and now in the 340 range to play guard at that level. But the way he moves and the way he's able to balance and, and play at the second level, he plays a guy that's closer to 290, 300. I think the upside there is still there. He's a guy who's still new to the position a little bit and still has a reason to expect him to get a lot better. And his strides over the last two seasons at UCLA were outstanding. And, and you go to UCLA's program, they talk about Dorian Thompson-Robinson and their other offensive lineman, John Gaines, who are two of the faces of the program there. And they always keep saying, but this Mafia guy, like he's really talented. He might be the most talented guy, maybe on our whole roster. And I think that's where the upset is for Mafia too. So I think for a Patriots comparison, comparable to Michael Wenu, um, the guard they also got in day three, who ended up starting them early on as well too. I think they're a little bit different players, but Mafia can have that same type of impact. And it wouldn't shock me at all if Mafia started by the end of his rookie year. I think he's shown that he's extremely coachable and can make big strides very quickly. Yeah, it's really interesting. We actually spoke to Mike Lombardi, who's an executive here, longtime NFL exec, friend of Bill Belichick's for decades now. And one of the things that stood out to him about the Patriots draft class was preparing for the future. And I know that's, yep. that's part of everyone's draft class to a degree, but when you look at Owenu, uh, you know, you look at David Andrews, not saying that Mafia's going to be a center, but like there could be some shakeup on the interior of the Patriots offensive line. Cole Strange is a good enough athlete that they might be able to move him around. So this, you know, might not look like a, uh, an immediate need for the Patriots, but with Owenu going into a contract year, it could be a need very, very soon. And he looks like the kind of guy who really, Eric, for them would be perfect for their gap running schemes is that right. does that sound about right to you he's he would be he would be a fit in that kind of offense for the Patriots getting downhill 100 he, percent. he's great at the second level and when he's able to kind of work in a short area and get up field he's not a guy you want necessarily pulling out in space too too much and working on the perimeter but if he can do a, a short pull a trap or at least get up field the second level he's dominant but again his pass blocking ability is where he's already successful but he'll make huge strides there and they invested a lot in this draft on the interior offensive line and Cole Strange last year that's what you want to invest when you have a pocket quarterback like Mac Jones. They did it when they had Tom Brady for a very long time, keeping that interior very strong. And I think getting three players in the draft, one of them being Mafia, along with last year's Cole Strange, just shows they want to make sure that interior offensive line, even through injury, even through turnover in the future, is a really strong position for them. Yeah, especially when you have, like you said, you know, you, you got this pocket quarterback in Mac Jones. If you want yeah. to try to make sure that, that he is safe in there, you want to have that interior. Protect, protect that A-gap. Nice yep. and secure. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, what I love about Mafia's game in the, in the clips that I have seen is that it makes sense that this dude is a former defensive player. Right. <laughs> he is. He's mean out there at times. Yep. He does not treat these these defensive linemen uh, across the line of scrimmage with any kind of sympathy. Uh, is that something that drew you to him in terms of inviting him? to the Shrine Bowl and giving him the platform that he got out there in Vegas with you guys. Yeah, I mean, again, he's a guy you watch UCLA's film, and I think a lot of scouts, because I mentioned John Gaines, who went in the fourth round, a great player in his own right, but they're very different players. John is this cerebral, 
you know, great academically team leader. He'll get, he's a guy that NFL teams like at center as well as both guard spots. And he's a very smooth, natural puller in space. And Mafia is the guy that's the road grader downhill who's knocking linebackers off and, and putting defensive tackles on the ground and, and making plays in space and still a little bit raw in what he's doing. So Mafia is the kind of guy I think on film that he'll show the Patriots in camp as well, too, that he's still kind of figuring out a little bit of footwork, a little bit of timing, a little bit of how to react when there's, stunts or blitzers etc but in the meantime he's going to obliterate you with line of scrimmage and he's going to win with just natural athleticism and strength and those kind of guys that can kind of get by just off their size strength and movement ability and still have shown they could be coachable like that's the jackpot you want guys that have upside and reasoning they're going to hit their upside I think Mafia's nastiness and his size and movement are reasons why you know what at the worst case this guy's going to be fun to have in camp and a guy that's a great backup but upside wise he could be one of the most athletic offensive linemen in the league. And I don't mean that in hyperbole. Like, I think this guy has the ability to be one of the best 330-pound-plus offensive linemen in the entire NFL. That's kind of upside he really has. There's only so many of them. As you mentioned, you know, Bill yeah. Belichick says it all the time. These guys don't grow on trees when he's talking about these yeah. bigger body types that can move. And so it sounds like that's what Mafia is. What interests me, and I found this in, in Dane Brugler's draft guide on The Athletic, is that that he was a captain for Shrine Bowl or for the Shrine Bowl game, it sounds like, Eric. So – what does that mean? How does that get selected? That just stood out to me. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a mix of players and coaches. And I think that shows that he's a guy that wasn't, and again, I mentioned John Gaines a few times now, but Gaines was the leader, but I think Mafia's kind of coming into his own and he can kind of be his own kind of person and leader as well too. But he's a quieter person, but definitely leads by example on the field and talking with other defensive linemen that he went against in practice and in the game, as well as offensive linemen on his own team. And they all kind of spoke at how impressive he was on and off the field and just the confidence that he has. And again, a guy that, is a former defensive lineman who's becoming an offensive lineman to be high football IQ and a leader is really impressive. Somebody for new Patriots offensive line coach, Adrian Clem to, to mold. He, he probably is a little bit familiar with game uh, with Mafi's game before the draft, even uh, and before studying him because he was in the PAC 12, he's coaching Oregon. I'm sure there's some crossover tape there and he gets a chance to look at this guy who's 350 ish pounds. who's just throwing people around and he's, he's probably got to get excited about that i want to move on now to to pop douglas which is a name yeah. that i think a lot of patriots fans are excited about uh, i know the patriots considered receiver a, a need to some extent coming into the draft i think the way it worked out the way this class was built they wait until the sixth round they get Kayshawn booty from lsu but then they get demario douglas pop douglas who to me is is such a fun player to watch eric are there any moments from his week at the shrine game uh during practice in the game itself that you know, you look back on fondly and say, man, this guy is just an electric player. We're glad we had him at the Shrine Bowl here. Yeah, a couple. I mean, I think the first day, you know, a lot of buzz was on a different Patriots receiver, Zay Flowers, coming into the week. But Pop kind of showed that he's very similar to Zay Flowers in that way. And I think the first couple, I think it was a punt return snap where he just had, he made two guys miss really quickly. You saw the twitch, you saw the burst. I think that opened up everyone's eyes right away. I think that day one of All-Star Games is really important for the guys that are good athletes because it's a chance for Pop coming from Liberty, a great program, but not necessarily going against the Bamas and the Georges. And he's showing the twitch and lateral ability to beat the guys from the Bamas and Georges out there on the football field. So I think that first day of practice was really impressive. But, you know, I've known Pop since uh, a year ago when he was the the receiver for Malik Willis, went down there in Liberty and visited with him. And he would, didn't come out for the draft that year, wasn't eligible. But he's a guy we always kind of saved a spot for because we knew how special he was on the field, but also off the field. The coaching staff there raved about him and said, hey, we need have to, we have to have him make plays for us. We can't have him run this whole diverse route tree. We got to get the ball on screens and quick plays and vertical routes. 
But talking to Pop, he wants to get better so bad. He wants to develop as a route runner and really develop that nuance. And he, along with Dorian Thompson Robinson and the rest of the skill guys for the Patriots staff during Shrine Bowl week, were working late at night to kind of master that playbook and build cohesion. I think Pop did that all week long, too. So along with being a guy that's super twitchy, explosive, can be a returner, can be a receiver, slot receiver, can play outside, genuinely he wants to get so much better and has the right football character that it just makes sense that a guy like Belichick would gravitate to Pop Douglas. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable the numbers that he was able to post at the combine. You know, he's 5'8, 180, but he runs a 4'4, 40, 39 and a half inch vertical, 11 foot two broad jump. I mean, this guy is legitimately NFL caliber explosive and high end yep. NFL yep. caliber explosiveness on the field. How do you view, you mentioned there, you know, he could play in the slot, maybe see him outside a little bit as well, but how do you envision his role in the Patriots offense, Eric? Knowing it the way you do, it's been. I, had a little bit of a, a hiccup last year. Let's just say that in terms of the, the schemes they were running and they tried to change some things. They ended up kind of getting back to who they've been for a long, long time by season's end. Now Bill O'Brien is back. We all sort of have an idea of what the Patriots offense is. Is there anybody that you can think back to and say, I could see Pop Douglas filling that kind of role in New England. Yeah. Is there that kind of comp for you? You know, there's funny. I, I, I've been calling him the offensive Marcus Jones. And I think that's maybe his best comp is that we saw Marcus Jones get involved on offense because they needed playmakers, especially ones that can threaten laterally. We saw the Marcus Jones play. I forget which game it was. The Either it's a drag route or quick slant it takes for a touchdown. Like that's going to be Pop's role right now. And I think that's kind of the explosiveness horizontally they've been missing in their receiver group. A year ago, they took a guy from the Shrine Bowl, Tyquan Thornton, who's going to be that take the top off a of defense vertical speed guy. I think Pop now is the slot guy that can be the – Jet sweep, the motion, the lateral ability, the quick slant, the RPO throw out to the side as well. So I think he's that type of player for the Patriots offense. And if he can kind of be that compliment to Marcus Jones, take away some of that return presence that Marcus Jones has to kind of give him a break a little bit, but also be that offensive playmaker. That's probably his best comparable is that if he's offensive Marcus Jones, you got another guy that's super dynamic and hard to find. And the ability to return kicks, I mean, that's massive for them. I mean, we've seen it in years past where they've had really one guy who can do it. All of a sudden, that guy, say Stanley Amendola, he deals with an injury. Now, who do you have back there? There have been games, regular season games, meaningful games, Eric, where they would just go out to, for punt return and not have a returner back. Like, they just wouldn't even fake like they would have a returner back there. And I think it was in part because they just didn't really have any options. They didn't trust any back anybody back there. So to have Douglas potentially – with Marcus Jones in that role, we know Marcus Jones is playing offense and defense. Maybe they're going to want to give him a blow on special yep. teams. So there's some value there for Pop as well. And it seems like he's a tough player too, even though his size yeah. is what it is, Eric. You know, you see him with really good games against high-end competition, Arkansas and Wake Forest. He combined for three touchdowns, I know. Did you get a sense for his toughness uh, in the time you were able to, to spend with him and evaluate him? Hey, we've seen the draft this past year. 180 is like big now for a receiver. We see 160-pound guys going in the third, fourth round. So, no, but he's definitely a, a tougher interior guy. And, again, getting better as a route runner, he also wants to win across the middle. He's a guy that wants to take those quick slants, but also those dig routes, and he's not afraid of safeties over the top as well, too. So, again, I stress he has the right football character you want to develop in a slot and potentially Z receiver. I think that toughness shows up on film. And and during Trumbull weekend, hey, you've got to be tough to be a returner like him because you're going to take some big hits and – on film and during his college time at Liberty, he doesn't really get phased by, by big contact either as well, too. So again, I think he's a guy that will by season's end will get used quite a bit. And I get excited watching the Patriots offense seeing, Hey, if you got Tyquan Thornton in, at the X spot and you got pop Douglas at the slot, 
it's really hard for any safety to figure out what the hell they're going to be doing because you can have Taekwondo deep, you can have pop here, you can mix it up a little bit, have you know pop do a wheel route, and you know the, the possibilities are endless just for those two guys in the same side of field because they're both four two four three guys with great explosiveness and the ability to kind of get better as route runners. So I'm excited for the future as those two guys together, and I'll be looking forward to those packages for sure on game day. They've definitely been trying to get more speed on the field and get more explosive, period, on offense. So you mentioned those two. You know, Ramondre Stevenson, when he's in the open field, he can be an explosive play waiting to happen. They bring in Mike Kosicki. You know, like they, they're they're doing all they can, I think, to, to get a little bit more explosive. But these two guys that you just mentioned, if they can see them grow and develop and take on real roles in this offense, that, that, that can change the way this offense looks. And I think it uh, is a change that, that they're searching desperately for right now because they want to be able to keep up with the Joneses as far as the rest of the NFL is concerned with all these explosive plays that we're seeing every single week. Well, Eric, it has been a, a whirlwind I'm sure for you leading up to the shrine bowl after the draft. Now, congratulations on a phenomenal pre and post uh, draft period here. You get a first rounder out of the shrine bowl and Zay flowers, which has been a lot of fun for us to watch his path to the draft coming from Boston college here. We were hoping he might end up, <laughs> in New England. We were hoping he might be able to stay home. I know his coaches at BC were feeling the same way, uh, but he's in a great spot in Baltimore and the Patriots end up with two really exciting players from the Shrine Bowl as well. So thanks so much for teaching us, teaching us a little bit more about them, Eric. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great stuff there from Eric. Always love having him on the podcast. And does that not get you a little excited? Just a little excited when you hear somebody talk about Demario Douglas as sort of the offensive version of Marcus Jones. I mean, we know Marcus Jones can play some offense too, but he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands. He get the crowd so juiced at Gillette stadium, just with one touch of the football. If that's the kind of athlete Demario Douglas is, he's going to be a fan favorite as I think Marcus Jones has become before not too long. Okay. Before we let you go, I do want to give a few shout outs. People are leaving those five-star reviews guys. You know how those make me feel. I get goosebumps. I get all kinds of tingly when I see these five-star reviews. This first one's from Mal7355. says, Killer Pod, with the up-to-date knowledge and feelings on our favorite team. Three exclamation points. Uh, Mal, apparently, just as excited about these reviews as I am. Next is Michael J. Ferrara. Appreciate you, Michael. Great information, tremendous content. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Last one here is from Gnarly Nubs. Another five-star review. Says, Tom and Philip. Sounded like my mother, or really my older sister, Elisa. She's really the only one who calls me Philip on this entire planet. Uh, Tom and Philip, awesome pods. Uh, Gnarly Nubs is a listener of both. He has a couple of thoughts here. Let's see if we can hit on this quickly. It says, Pat's D's biggest weakness last year, IMO, was against the better QBs on third and distance, hoping to see Gonzalez be able to man up against wide receiver twos, e.g. Gabriel Davis, Alan Lazard, Waddle being a big test, and Keon White rotating in as part of a four-man pass rush package. Judon, Barmore, White, Uche. Strength the secondary with a man corner and generate consistent pass rush with four guys. Not rocket science, but that's how a good defense can become great. I like those thoughts, Gnarly. I like those thoughts, Gnarly Nub. I, I think in sub-situations, that would be a formidable group, wouldn't it be? Judon, Barmore, White, Uche. Different kinds of pass rushers, too. You know, we talk about this at the receiver position, having different skill sets there to be able to put stress on a defense. Now, when it comes to pass rushers, I'm not sure that kind of group versatility is as important because as long as you're big, fast, strong, explosive, and you can 
get after quarterbacks when you know they're dropping back, right? These third and long scenarios that you're talking about, that's usually going to be what wins. But these guys are all big, fast, strong in different ways, right? Uche is the smallest of them, but he's still 250 pounds and the most athletic. You know, Barmore is the biggest, but is an explosive freak from the interior. We know Matt Judon, what he can be, and Keon White. Again, he's going to be more of your your burly, long-armed, bull-in-a-china-shop kind of pass rusher. But, you know, if you're expecting one thing as an offensive lineman, and this would be a good topic of conversation to maybe bring an offensive lineman on for, but if you're expecting one thing, if you're lined up across from, for instance, Christian Barmore, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, excuse me, on a twist or a stunt or a game, you get Josh Uche coming at you. Well, those are two completely different skill sets. And if you're anchoring for Barmore, and all of a sudden you get Uche looping around Barmore coming off of his ass cheek and into your chest, how do you adjust? And can that throw off your entire game plan as a pass protector and therefore maybe generate a pressure when there wasn't a pressure there to be generated in the first place. I do like that about that particular group that gnarly nubs throws out there. That foursome of Juden bar Judon Barmore white and Uche really interesting. Gnarly adds in, add in a six man combo of a couple of Joneses and these strong safety linebacker hybrid types. And maybe they can actually get Josh Allen off the field on third and 11 more athleticism against mobile quarterbacks. Never a bad thing. He says, lastly, high hopes for James Robinson to win the RB two role. He would keep the O multiple when Ramondre comes off the field. That is a, a good point about Robinson. You could run him between the tackles. And let me tell you, when it comes to body types and body language, like this is sort of a fun time of year for anybody who's interested in that sort of stuff. So if you have questions about how certain guys look, feel free by all means. Leave us a question. Leave us a comment in the comment section on Apple iTunes, and, and we'll get to those. But I would say this, Robinson, and it might just be because he's a single-digit number, the man looked thick with multiple C's. <laughs> he looked large. He looked like a between the tackles back, but we know based on his production and his history in the NFL that he can catch the ball and catch it really effectively as well. So maybe he does give you that, that dual threat that Stevenson gives you and the ability to, to threaten defenses in a variety of ways, no matter who's lined up back there. You know, Montgomery, to me, he can run between the tackles as well has some experience doing that. He's smart enough to be able to do that. But I wouldn't say he's a threat to run you over. Robinson, his body type, and maybe this will evolve as the spring and summer go on and he gets more conditioning work. But it didn't look like he had to miss any of the day's work when we were out there for that first media availability at OTAs. So I'm not going to sit here and say he was out of shape. I just think he's he's a bigger man than I thought he was. Let's just put it that way. So we'll be interesting to track his progress working into the Patriots offense as Bill O'Brien gets adjusted and acclimated to all the weapons that he has around him and the best way to deploy those guys. But we'll be tracking it as well. Again, we are your eyes, your ears, your noses this time of year. Does that matter? Not really. We're we're way up high in the hills. We're not really able to smell all that much up there. Um, other than if Karin happens to be next to me and, and maybe he had an extra large, extra meat, extra cheese, steak and cheese sub right before practice. So. We'll try to save you from any of that kind of information. The information that we will be bringing you is everything that we see out there. X's and O's wise, individual players, especially these young guys that we love talking about on this podcast. How are they looking? How are they progressing? Where's Tyquan Thornton? Did we even mention Tyquan Thornton on this podcast? 
He had a nice day. He did have a drop early in the practice, but then he soon thereafter got behind the defense, used that speed. There was a coverage bust, but reeled in a nice long pass from Mac Jones. Be interesting to see how they continue to try to use him. I mentioned he caught that ball on what might have been an RPO on a slant. So maybe they've been able to add more to his plate as a route runner. And the more he can do, the more speed you can bring to the field if you're the Patriots, a team that has been lacking that in recent seasons, especially at that receiver position, the better. So We'll give you all the updates we can. Continue to hit us with questions. Let us know what you're looking for. We'll keep our peepers peeled for those things. And we'll talk to you right here on this podcast. And we'll share as much information as we can with you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week.